Good morning, everyone. Thanks for being with us. And I just want to say a huge shout out to our production team, to our worship team, and to all those people that lead in our home groups and are engaged across our city in various ways as part of the Pilgrim family. And if you're looking to get involved in a local church, I just really encourage you to check us out. You can go online, pilgrimchurch.ca. Uh, there's a place to sign up for our email list to get more information about Pilgrim. Uh, we just love to get to know you better and uh, invite you to take whatever those next steps might be for your spiritual journey. Uh, my name's Shell here. I'm the uh, lead pastor at Pilgrim. And uh, so today I'm going to go into a continuing series in Colossians. And then next week we're going to actually break it up and dig into sort of wrestling with doubt, uh, a message that I was going to give before the COVID uh, crisis hit and uh, kind of break that up, and then we'll get back into Colossians later on. Um, so, indeed, this morning, I just invite you to read with me from Colossians chapter 1, and we're going to read just three verses this morning, chapter 1, uh, verses 21, 22, and 23. Um, and so, let's, uh, let's read that together this morning. Check it out. Here we go. And you, Paul is writing to the church in Colossae, and you at one time were strangers and enemies in your mind as expressed through your evil deeds. But now he has reconciled you by his physical body through death to present you holy without blemish and blameless before him. Verse 23, if indeed you remain in faith, established and firm, without shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, this gospel has also been preached in all creation under heaven, and I, Paul, have become its servant." Before we get into that, I just want to maybe share a little story to set the stage about some of what's happening here. Um, N.T. Wright, a well-known New Testament and biblical scholar, uh, for those that are Christians and follow any of that sort of thing, relays this when he talks about this passage in one of his commentaries. He talks about visiting uh, the Mall of America in Minnesota. And full confession, I actually worked in the Mall of America when I was right out of high school. Uh, I moved to the big city from the sticks of South Dakota into the urbane Minneapolis, Minnesota, and I worked in the Mall of America. I worked in two different shops there. Uh, one of them was the San Francisco Music Box Company. I don't even know if they have bricks and mortar stores anymore, uh, but I did look online. They still have a website. So I worked there in this Mall of America, which has built this huge monstrosity it's owned by the same group that owns the other mega mall in North America, which for those of us in Canada, we're more familiar with probably, is the Edmonton West Mall in Alberta. Same holding company, same uh, organization that oversees it. And so N.T. Wright must have been there for a lecture or teaching in any one of the seminaries there. And he uh, said almost immediately in walking in the mall, he got lost. Now, this mall is massive. It's this huge uh, box with a center courtyard that has um, a, a, an amusement park land. It used to be called Camp Snoopy, and now it's like Nickelodeon World. There's roller coasters. I have took my kids there when I lived in the Midwest. Uh, and then it's ringed by three levels, and in some places four, and then a lower level as well with like a SeaWorld kind of display. And he said, almost immediately, I got lost going into this mall but the good news is, as he's walking along on any level, there are directional signs, wayfinder signs. And as he approaches one of those, he said, in that sign, of course, it says in a big red dot on it that you are here to get your bearings and your orientation. And when N.T. Wright reflects on this passage, after what just happened in the five verses before, which we talked about last week, the Christ hymn in this passage, 
And so Paul is telling them now, this great big cosmic song, he says, he's telling the Colossians now, this is where you're at in this song of Jesus. You are here. A few other things before we get into these verses. Think about this idea. Before these verses is a song called the Christ hymn, like we said. And have you ever been sent a song that someone sent to you, either an email or back in the day, this is how old I am, somebody would make a mixtape, you would express that to your friends and maybe someone that you were uh, interested in, and you would make a mixtape. And you would wonder, if you got a song sent to you, you'd often ask the question, well, what do they want me to get from this? What, what do they want me to get from this? Or if they sent me a song, what, why do they send me this song? What, what is the meaning of this? Or perhaps you heard a song and you were like, what do the lyrics mean? And you begin to do a search online to say, what does this song mean? Or again, if someone sent it to you, what does it mean particularly for me? That's what's going on here in these three little verses. Paul's beginning to dial in some of the big themes he's unpacked in the first part of chapter one of Colossians and what he's gonna do in the rest of the book. So we wanna dig into that this morning. I wanna pray, and then we're just gonna spend a few short minutes together walking through these verses uh, together, and I encourage you to have a Bible open and dig through it uh, this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you're doing in our lives. Thank you for this opportunity that we have to gather online. And Lord, you know how much I miss the gathering in community uh, where we're in the physical space together. And uh, thank you that we can begin to maybe look at that more here in the next few weeks and also the opportunity to still um, share live via the internet um, what we're doing and gathering and teaching and worship. And Lord, thank you that this is an opportunity to also reframe how we see the world, that there's more than just a reductionist naturalism, that there's more going on, and that art and beauty and music and math all point to this bigger picture, and our faith embodies it and gives it specificity, gets specific in Jesus, who is indeed the one holding it together by his spirit. So God, I'm a saint and sinner in process, um, and I just want to admit that out loud before you and before others. I need your grace daily. And I know I can't change anybody or cause any hearts to be illumined or awakened to your presence, but I know that your spirit can do that through the foolishness and the humility of what we do when we gather and we scatter and serve in your name. So do your work, O Holy Spirit. We yield this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So let's look a little bit at this passage. If there are some big themes or big application points as we get into these verses that maybe you want to keep tucked in your mind there, I think one of it is that we are invited into the song of Jesus. We're invited into the music of the one who has created and is sustaining. We are invited to have our hearing healed and our eyes open to that bigger picture. Uh, I think one of the big pieces, again, is finding yourself in the song of Jesus. I think some of the other things in application is that there is, again, a blindness or a a mental fog that we have to work through and that God wants to bring clarity through and he gives us by grace the ability to cut through that fog if we are willing to receive that gift and let that grace work within us as well. And so we'll unpack a little more of that as we go along, but let's jump into the verses today. These themes continue on. So look again at verse 21 here in the passage. It says, and you, talking to the Colossians, what does the song mean for them? And you were at one time strangers and enemies in your minds as expressed through your evil deeds. That's 
quite uh, an interpretation to hear that. And they're saying to these, these Colossians that there's four categories that describe your life before Jesus. And if you're considering Christ, you are on one side or the other of these. Really, we see the cross in the life of Jesus as the pivot or the wedge of human history. And so he says these four categories, once this indication of where they were before Christ, their past was as Gentile believers. And in the Bible, the story of Israel, uh, Jesus takes on the story of Israel and expands what Israel was to be in Old Testament as a saving community, revealing the knowledge of God to all people. And Jesus now makes that a reality. And he says, once you were outside of that so saving community, but now something has shifted. For Paul and for Timothy, um, this deep reality is that God has reconciled the world to himself, that in the cross, this action defines all time, that God breaks into God's own creation, becomes physically, materially part of it, and in that, he reconciles the world. And there's a dynamic border that you cross when you follow Christ. And again, a border is a good example because then do you keep on journeying or do you keep going back? What is your trajectory in that journey towards this Christ life? So God has acted decisively for all of human history, but we as individuals still have a role to play in where are we going to, are we going to let that grace work within us or are we going to resist that grace? Once you were there, but now you are here. Um, author L.C. Fitzpatrick writes this, uh, an interesting story about identity theft. You know, if you're not familiar with identity theft, it's when someone steals your name and information for fraudulent use. Uh, I don't know how many calls I've gotten from the IRS and the CRA uh, demanding an immediate tax payment now or they're going to throw me in jail. Obviously, fraudulent calls. I pay all my taxes. In fact, they're all paid and, oh, dear Lord. But anyway, I have to pay in two countries. Yay me. Um, but we wouldn't assume, again, this normal, uh, this identity theft is, is acceptable behavior, right? But the surprising reality, she writes, is this, that when a Christian, in some ways, the surprising reality that Christians are, we are by definition people who have someone else's identity. And this is one of the scandalous claims of Christianity, that your identity can be defined differently, and in fact, you can become more alive and more human and more of who you authentically were created to be. She says this, we're called Christians because we've taken the identity of someone else, Jesus the Christ. Not only have you been given an identity that you weren't born with or that you didn't earn the right to use, but you're invited to empty the checking account and use all the benefits of this identity that Jesus brings. And it's so much better than identity theft. She calls it an identity gift in Christ. So Paul says this again in verse 1. At one time you were strangers. You were alienated from God. One time and now alienated from God. They were alienated. They were separated. And often we make this personal first about how we live, but the text actually does not, some say it implies from God, but this alienation is ultimately alienation from God's saving community, how God is made known here on earth right now, that God always has a people. That at one time, they were alienated from this saving people, this saving community. And this should point to us about what is the church now? The church is a community, the church is Jesus and people, and that we have a choice to be reconciled to God through the relationship we have with others in loving God and loving others or not. And he said they were alienated from the saving community, but now they are brought in. I'm going to just share a little more about that before we move to the last part here. In Ephesians, Scott McKnight says this, in Ephesians, the alienation gathers around these ideas separate from Christ. 
excluded from Israel in God's covenant promise, absent of the resurrection hope and apart from God, we're darkened in our understanding, we're ignorant, and we're blighted, blighted like a disease on a tree, blighted by what was otherwise a most notable term connected to election, a darkened heart. And he says this, and we'll unpack this a little more, that is ecclesial alienation, church, community alienation, the Colossians knew, was experiencing separation from the work of God and, the, and through the new work of God. And then, of course, the focus of reconciliation is we're being brought into this new people. We're alienated from God, but when we follow Christ, we're brought into a new family, a new community, and that enables us to live in the world, but differently than the brokenness around us in all of the tribalism of the world around us. There's more to say about that, but we don't have time. So let's look at the last two here in verse one. Uh, You were enemies in your mind. Alienation has two aspects, mental hostility and evil deeds. So he says enemies in your mind, number three, and number four, your evil behavior, that these two things are at work within us. And so Paul uses this word enemy in his writings elsewhere, uh, but the kind that he's talking about among the Colossians is a mental enemy. And this is why it's so important to understand that Christianity teaches us actually to be better thinkers and to go more deeply behind the givens that we have in our larger culture. I was watching an interesting debate between, uh, a discussion rather, between uh, Sam Harris and Jordan Peterson, neither one I'm particularly thrilled about, but they were talking about this idea of how we wrestle with what is sort of the thing that goes all the way down and what are some of the assumptions in our culture. And it's interesting, they're trying to, and sometimes they're talking to each other or talking past each other. I believe Christianity actually calls us to a deeper way of thinking that we can actually be more honest because we step outside of the water that we were sort of born in, so to speak, and we can think deeper thoughts. And so Paul says, there is a warfare in your mind. There's an enemy that wants to keep your thoughts captive and, uh, and that Jesus gives us grace so that we can choose to break out of that. It's not that they were incompetent or irrational. Sometimes people who do not uh, want to hear what the other is saying automatically go to idiocy, incompetency, or irrational. But in fact, this idea of mind and heart, that there was something darkened that they were unable to comprehend, but Jesus' grace breaks you out of that. It's no wonder that the great universities and that whole idea actually came out of Christianity, that there was this sense of exploration and that science and faith work together and they answer sometimes similar questions, overlapping questions, and different questions, and that they're not naturally enemies. That's sort of a lie of our late modern Western culture that we need to get through. And your evil behavior, finally, uh, verse 21, in your evil deeds. So this thing manifests in what we do and how we act, that our thoughts and our emotions affect then our deeds. Our deeds flow out of them, out of what the Bible would call that heart center which we'd say nowadays we'd refer to as our mind and our emotions, but that, that heart. And so out of those things come evil deeds. And this is where they were. They were alienated. They had resistance to God. And then they manifested in behaviors that, that break right relationship. And so he says, but now something's happened. So let's quickly go to the next verses. But now, verse 22, if you're following along, he has reconciled you by his physical body. That's fascinating, by the way. Spiritual and material are enmeshed in a Christian worldview. In fact, uh, we are not what we might call reductionist naturals. We don't reduce it to simply what we think of as matter, but that there's more than matter. And anybody who's honest about the nature of the world will admit that there, has, there is more than we can simply say at this point in time we think we know from our natural sciences. So he says this, but now he's reconciled you by his physical body through death, to present you holy without blemish, blameless before him. Sort of that uh, mixture of images to talk about a new status within your heart and mind, what Jesus has done. 
So grace means, I like how Anne Lamott says this, uh, grace means you're in a different universe from where you have been stuck when you had absolutely no way of getting there on your own. Revelation knowledge through Jesus tells us that there is a way, that there is a knowledge that we have that Jesus can give us and engage with us. And so God works in this gracious way in Christ, but now he has reconciled you, verse 22. Everything about that past is being altered and restored, told again, in Christ. God's grace and when you say yes to Jesus and you keep walking the path changes you. And evil deeds, you get transformed into someone who is now motivated to do good things. The mental war against God has been dropped and now you're thinking at deeper levels and more creatively in Christ. This now shifts us when we follow Christ, he says to the church at Colossians. You becoming part of the song of Jesus you now are part of God's people. You have gained a new uh, nation, a new sense of who you are. Ancient Israel expanded now by faith to include them. And in Christ, the world is reconciled to God and you personally can be reconciled to God. The, the world is done, it's happened, and he'll bring it fully when he comes again, but you personally then have a choice to make in the matter. So reconciliation for Paul here, really quickly in verse 22, is cosmic it's community, ecclesial, it's like the saving community, and it's individual. It's the world, it's a saving vehicle, and it's personal, it's individual. And all three of those levels, Christ is at work by the Holy Spirit, even right now, as he interprets the Jesus song to them. And for you this morning, you need to find your place in that. Are you in this saving community? Are you in a community that's showing another way of being human, even in its fallenness? But again, God's grace in Jesus renews it, are you in that saving community and where are you at individually with your walk this morning? Where are you at? And so this flow is important. The, the whole of creation, a people, an individual personal uh, relationship with him. Again, I'll give you another McKnight quote. The physical, the body of Jesus was part of this. Not simply some abstract thought or spiritual only act. But in Jesus' body, in God taking on the creation the whole of humanity, Jews and Gentiles, is represented, dies, and can be raised into the resurrection body of eternity. That's a deep, deep uh, teaching about Jesus, but the practical application is where are you finding yourself in that? How are you responding to the work of Christ? Let's look at the last part of verse 22b. We become holy in his sight without blemish, free from accusation. That in Christ, that Christ identity changes our standing with God, with the Creator, that we can come boldly before him, that we are his children, that he is our loving father. Uh, and, and to stretch the metaphor, he's the father and mother of us all, that God is the one that calls us and has made us so we can stand in his presence. He tears down the walls of sin and division. Now, finally, let's look at verse 23. I hope you're hanging with me this morning, uh, and we'll get into a little different thing next Sunday. But verse 23 says this, if... Now, there's a conditional phrase here, if then, right? If you remain in the faith, established and firm, without shifting from the hope of the gospel that you've heard. And then he says, this gospel has also been preached in all creation and under heaven, and I, Paul, have become its servant. So here he tells us this, that following Jesus is a relationship. That Jesus comes to shut down religion. It's not about performative works. It's about sustaining relationship. He says, if you continue, if you keep walking, if you engage in the life of outrageous love as taught and demonstrated by Jesus and by his grace empowered within you, love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
love your neighbor as yourself, that if you remain in this and you grow in this, that then you will experience this fullness of the new humanity to come. And so there's something that we have to do. We have to do something with this gift. We have to receive the gift. We have to walk in it. We need to persevere. Perseverance for Paul is attachment to what has already happened in Christ and that will come fully one day. And so we align ourselves. We give allegiance to that. The final part of verse 23 here is this. The gospel has gone universal. Paul's a servant of this gospel. Paul is a universalist, as some say, not in the ways that some people think, but he's in this sense, that God has a claim on the whole world because he's acted in Jesus to reconcile the whole world to himself, to end all religion, to bring an end to human striving, to sense uh, be one with the creator or human fighting against the creator. Jesus enters into our condition, becomes what we are so that we can become what he is, as one of the early church fathers puts it. So as individuals, we have a choice then. Are we going to be part of this saving community? Are we here to make the world better through the grace of God revealed in Jesus Christ? It's been announced to every creation, it says in this passage in verse 23. Everything has been declared, uh, has been told of this gospel within what is created. And now individually, we share it in terms of people. And how does that message continue on? And Paul says, I'm a servant of that. I'm going to land this because this passage is pivot and then he goes into more things for the church at Colossians. And when we get more into this text in the next weeks ahead, um, there's, he gets super practical and more and more applications. But if I were to, to give you an application point before we get ready to take some questions, um, find yourself in the song of Jesus. He's inviting them. them those at, Coloss- at this church in Colossae have already done that. And they were in a culture in some ways similar to ours, in some ways very different, but in a culture where people were striving to get their identity in, in their wealth, in their resources, in their education, striving to get their identity in um, their expression of sexuality. I mean, the ancient Greco-Roman world uh, would even make modern Westerners blush, a fact, in fact. I mean, there were so many identity claims on them. And here he's saying, when you, and they responded to this message of Jesus, it, it, it clicked with something deep within them, a yearning, a hole that was not being filled by endless YouTube videos, was not being filled by all of the music around them. The song of Jesus was a different kind of song that felt similar and yet radically different because it's the one who has created it all and sustains it as calling. So if you hear the music, what are you going to do with the Jesus song? Will you receive that song and will you let it become your own lyric for your life? I think other applications this morning is that this idea of a new people. Paul hammers this theme, and that's why we hammer it here at Pilgrim Church, because in the New Testament, it is again and again and again that we are driven by ideologies in our culture that seek to divide us and seek to enshrine other identities so much so that we, we judge and we punish people when we don't agree on those things. The Jesus identity says there's a different way of identifying as human and a different way of relating that makes us all in one family. And so he calls us into that. He calls us into that different way of being human. And again, he will give us more application throughout this book. I would also like to just throw in there as an aside that it says something about creation and science and faith as well. The Christ hymn, the Jesus song, and the application that they're not opposed and that those are false divisions, false either-ors. I'm thinking of doing a series on false either-ors, science or faith false division. Uh, But there's more that we could say as well. So this morning, I invite you, if you have any questions or any thoughts that you would like to throw out there, to do that as we looked at these three short verses, 
lot going on. And then next week, we're going to do a, a one-off topical message. And so I invite you into that conversation as well. Do we have any questions this morning? Oh, okay, here we go. How can Christians become better at believing in and living out the biblical worldview that acknowledges both the physical and the spiritual, that acknowledges and values both the physical and the spiritual? Yeah, this is great. I think I've been talking to this with other people. Um, what is the media that you consume? And do you have other voices in there other than just the secular narrative, the, what I would call, or Jamie Smith would say, the secular liturgies? Do you have other things that are informing you? So I'd say, first of all, you need to, the things you're already listening to, you need to add in like other teaching, uh, other art that speak to this idea of a bigger thing in creation beyond just reducing it to material and our physicality. It would also interweave this idea of the spiritual. We see it a little bit in secular world uh, where when we have that sense of being caught up in art and play and beauty and sports, um, but then bring that in with pieces of Jesus What's forming you? Are you adding those pieces in? Um, I think the other thing about this is throughout your day, developing practices where you tend to silence and your imagination is not just make-believe, but also a place where you can encounter God, where you stop throughout your day, literally pause, breathe in and breathe out slowly. Think of Christ, think of God, think of a passage of Scripture. There are practices that begin to shape us differently. Now, if we don't engage in any of the practices and it's only a mental game on a Sunday or a lecture here and there, it probably is not going to shape us deeply. That's why the church has always been embodied in how it talks about these things to link the spirit and the body together. Um, yeah, is there any other questions this morning or is that it? One more maybe? What does it mean to be reconciled in his fleshly body? Yeah, I scratched on that just for a second. Uh, it's talking about this, again, this idea of God entering creation in Christ. This is when we talk about the Christmas Jesus, right? That Jesus puts on, that God becomes part of his creation, and that was his intention to do from the very beginning. And that in that life that Jesus lives, his teachings leading to his death on the cross, that in that cross event is the pivot point of human history. And in that, that Jesus, in some way, that the biblical authors never fully explain, that's why there's Multiple uh, Christians will talk about different, they call it theologies of atonement, how the cross functions, and there's many facets of that. But what Paul doesn't go into the, the hows of that, he just explains that in his death on the cross, Jesus is cosmically pulling together all of our sin and brokenness of all humanity, forward and backward in time, and in that, God is taking it on himself, so, so we no longer have to strive in that. We receive by grace his gift of forgiveness and reconciliation. And so somehow, and the, the mystery of all ages, as we'll read later in Colossians, is what happens in that cross. A God who dies. You know, and for some of you, you may be listening to this and you're far from Christ. You're not, you're not even awake to it yet. And yet he died for you, for the person that's, going to keep him at arm's length or even ignore and deny his history and existence. He does that. He reconciled even your rebellion, even that rebellion against his existence. And he's working. To put it another way, in the cross, God said, once and for all, I am forever oriented towards my creation and I will always tear down the wall. But we still have to receive it by grace and say, Jesus, I, I take that step and I want that relationship. And when we begin to walk that out. Should I do one more? Is that it? You think? Okay, I'll do one more since we have time here. Um, what are some practical ways to continuously remind ourselves of who we are and our new identity in Christ in a culture that's constantly trying to catalog, label us through aggressive advertising? 
Well, some of this piggybacks on what I already said. What are you watching on YouTube? What are you engaging on Instagram? What are you forming? Like, it's got it. You got to think really practically. Like, what is it that you're feeding your mind and soul in terms of your identity? You need to add things that come from that saving community that need to be Jesus-saturated stuff. If you're only immersing yourself in secular liturgies, then you won't have pushback. You won't actually have that. The other thing about finding ways to consume those things, that they're rooted in Scripture, obviously, that they're pointing to the Bible, that you're hearing the teachings of Jesus, particularly the New Testament, particularly the Gospels, immersing yourself in that repetitiously so it becomes sort of the, the, the backtrack in your brain that's playing again and again that will give you the ability to discern and to engage at a deeper level. All right. Well, thank you for those questions. We're going to get to the final part here uh, as we prepare to leave this morning. Paul says, this is where you're at. This is where you're at in this grand song and in this lyric. This is where you can be located. And so in that location uh, today, I want to encourage you to find yourself, find your place in the song of Jesus. Think about that. Read through that Colossians 1, chapter 1, verses 15 through 20 again. And then those three verses where he says, this is where you're at. This is what the song means for you. And then say, Holy Spirit, what does it mean for me today? after you read it, and, and just spend some time sitting in that and listening. Lord, thank you for what you're doing here at Pilgrim. Thank you that you're stretching our minds and hearts. And as we jump into a little bit of a topical message next Sunday, be with us as well, stretch us. Um, and Lord, thank you for my friends, brothers and sisters who've joined us today uh, online here and in other places. Continue to work through us. Continue to draw us into your song that we might join with the choir in heaven and all of creation before and after us and declare the goodness that God is eternally for us, turning towards us, and there's a new way of being human. In Jesus' name, amen.